Please open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 35. Tonight we will study verses 1 to 19. 2 Chronicles 35, beginning at verse 1. Listen now to God's holy, inerrant, and life-giving word. Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. He appointed the priests to their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. And he said to the Levites who taught all Israel and who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house that Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. You need not carry it on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Prepare yourselves according to your father's houses by your divisions, as prescribed in the writing of David, king of Israel, and the document of Solomon, his son. And stand in the holy place according to the groupings of the father's houses of your brothers, the lay people, and according to the divisions of the Levites by father's household. And slaughter the the Passover lamb. And consecrate yourself and prepare for your brothers to do according to the word of the Lord by Moses. Then Josiah contributed to the lay people as Passover offerings for all who were present, lambs and young goats from the flock, to the number of 30,000 and 3,000 bulls. These are from the king's possessions. And his officials contributed willingly to the people, to to the priests and to the Levites. Hilkiah, Zechariah, and Heliel, the chief officers of the house of God, gave to the priests for the Passover offerings 2,600 Passover lambs and 300 bulls. Conaniah also, and Shemaiah, and Nethanel, and his brothers, and Hashabiah, and Jael, and Josabad, the chiefs of the Levites, gave to the Levites for the Passover offerings 5,000 lambs and young goats and 500 bulls. When the service had been prepared for, the priests stood in their place, and the Levites in their divisions according to the king's command. And they slaughtered the Passover lamb, and the priests threw the blood that they had received from them while the Levites flayed the sacrifices. And they set aside the burnt offerings that they might distribute them according to the groupings of the fathers' houses of the lay people to offer to the Lord as it is written in the book of Moses, and so they did with the bulls. And they roasted the Passover lamb with fire according to the rule. And they boiled the holy offerings in pots and cauldrons and in pans and carried them quickly to all the lay people. And afterwards they prepared for themselves and for the priests because the priests, the son of Aaron, were offering the burnt offerings and the fat parts until night. So the Levites prepared for themselves and for the priests, the sons of Aaron. The singers, the sons of Asaph, who were in their place, according to the command of David, and Asaph, and Haman, and Jeduthun, the king's seer, and the gatekeepers were at each gate. They did not need to depart from their service, for their brothers, the Levites, prepared for them. So all the service of the Lord was prepared that day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord, according to the command of King Josiah. And the people of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. The grass withers, the flowers fall, and the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. 
And we thank you that, Lord, we are redemptively connected to Josiah and to his people. We look to the same Savior. It is the same blood by which we are redeemed. Father, stir us up in the very faith that Josiah sought to promote, that we might live profitably for you like he did. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' parable of the ten minas in Luke chapter 19, a nobleman calls in his servants and he entrusts each of them with a mina. A mina is a large amount of money. It's about a year's wages in one coin. And he commanded each of them, engage in business until I come. And then when he returned, he summoned each servant and asked about the money given to them, Luke 19, 15, that he might know what he had gained by doing business. Now, the point of the parable is that Christ's people are to employ the gospel in the world so as to render our Savior a prophet in terms of souls that are saved. When the first servant reported that the mina he had been given had earned the master ten minas more, the Lord told him, well done, good servant, Luke nineteen seventeen. Well, Josiah, king of Israel, was one of the most profitable of the Lord's servants in the entirety of the Old Testament. He came to the throne at a young age, and he devoted his heart to the Lord. He pursued God's will early on in his reign. We've read how he waged offensive warfare against the idols and the false worship, which was rampant at that time. And he then set out to repair the Lord's temple, which had been so decrepit under ungodly kings. And in the process, they discovered the lost book of God's covenant, very likely the book of Deuteronomy. Josiah responded in chapter 34 by calling a national convocation in which he renewed Israel's covenant with the Lord. He made all the people join in it. Well, 2 Chronicles 35 reveals that after that, Josiah led the people in a restoration of the Passover, Israel's most sacred festival. Now, Josiah's accomplishments are all the more impressive when we consider the dark times in which he lived. Following the long and wicked reign of King Manasseh, his grandfather, he led a people who were thoroughly corrupted by idol worship and who were very largely ignorant of God's word. And so his renewal of the Passover was significant, not only in obeying the law of Moses, which was itself necessary, but also in impressing upon the people the chief benefits of their faith regarding the mercy and grace of God for salvation. By the time the chapter ends, when Josiah's term of service has concluded in his death, the chronicler will note that his good deeds and acts of devotion were recorded in the annals of the nation. That is true, but more importantly, we can be sure that Josiah was received by the Lord with an acolyte, an accolade worthy of a good and faithful servant. Well, the chronicler highlights Josiah's observance of the Passover, as he earlier did when Hezekiah did the same in chapter 30, no doubt because he wanted to impress upon his generation. Remember, he's writing about 475 during the era of the restoration of Jerusalem, and he wants to impress them that they need to keep up the sacred feasts appointed by the Lord, and so they're to follow Josiah's example. And he makes clear how careful Josiah was to perform the ritual in accordance with with the minute details of God's word. Now, the Passover itself was an important part of the nation's life, so its celebration, its observance, was a significant development. Now, the origins of the Passover are found in God's deliverance of Israel from its bondage as slaves in Egypt. 
It occurred during the last of the ten plagues that the Lord inflicted against Pharaoh in order to force him, as the Lord said, to let my people go. Exodus 5.1. Well, Pharaoh was unwilling to do so. He was hard of heart. And so in the tenth of the plagues, the final plague, the Lord sent his angel of death throughout the land to slay the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt. Only the people of Israel were spared and their deliverance occurred because they spread the blood of sacrificed lambs on their doorposts as the Lord commanded them. The Lord had told them, Exodus 12, 13, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where the language Passover comes from. And no plague will befall you. Well, the first Passover meal was celebrated then by enslaved Israel on the very eve of their release from bondage when the sacrificed lambs were eaten, one for each family. And they ate with sandals on their feet, with a staff in their hands. They were ready to go in haste when the horns sounded their deliverance. Now, when Israel entered the promised land, the Lord instituted the annual celebration of the Passover as a reminder of his grace in saving them from slavery and death. Moreover, the blood of the Passover lambs began the many rituals instituted by Moses that together told the good news that sin may be forgiven through the death of a sacrifice. That message was repeated in so many rituals, but every calendar year of of the nation, it would begin with the Passover, followed by the week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread, which reflected God's calling to separate themselves from sin. Josiah's need to reinstitute these faiths shows that during the dark decades of unbelief, the people of Judah had, the the, the problem was not merely that they had lost God's law. The fact that they had not observed the Passover shows that they had lost the gospel as well. The gospel message of atonement for sin had become unknown among them. Well, Josiah's celebration of the Passover is of special interest to Christians because we remember that Jesus kept the Passover with his disciples on the night of his arrest, which was the eve of his crucifixion. And Jesus came to be the fulfillment of what the Passover symbolized. He was, in the words of John the Baptist, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That expression refers to the Passover lamb. Uh, Paul later wrote that Christians should purge ourselves from the leaven of sin because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Now, Christians no longer observe the Passover ritual, but rather the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which the Lord instituted during that last Passover meal, to replace it. Uh, The Passover celebrated the promise of a sin-atoning Savior whom God would send. The Lord's Supper celebrates with even greater clarity the Savior who has come and has died for our sins. Andrew Stewart comments, Josiah's zeal for the Passover teaches us to value the privilege of coming to the Lord's table. Not only does the Lord's Supper recall our faith to the saving gift God has provided in the sacrifice of his son, but by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Lord's Supper is a means of grace. It strengthens our faith. It grants us the experience of blessings purchased by Christ's blood, through our communion with him in faith. Well, the Passover was to be observed on the 14th day of the first month of every year. And having apparently read about this in the book of Deuteronomy, which they had just rediscovered and Josiah had been studying it, 
And the Passover instructions found in Deuteronomy 8, 16, 8, 1 to 8, 16, 1 to 8, Josiah was careful then to actually put it into practice. And so the Chronicler reports, Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem and they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month, right at the time when God had appointed it, verse 1. Now, prior to actually celebrating the Passover, diligent preparations had to be made, and Josiah, we find here, attended to them very diligently. First, he briefed the priests regarding their duties. He called them to their tasks, verse 2. He appointed the priests to their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. And he undoubtedly explained to them what the Passover was all about. He told the priests of all people the the story that the Passover was designed to remember. And he conveyed to them the blessing it would provide to the people and their faith as they learned anew of God's promised forgiveness. Josiah then prepared the Levites. The Levites played such an important role in the spiritual life of the people. Verse 3 says, they taught all Israel and were holy to the Lord. Uh, the priests, you know, who were the descendants of Aaron and himself, uh, they were they tended to the temple. It was a relatively small number of them, and they served only in the temple. The Levites served all through the land. They were the ministers among the people, as well as taking care of the temple and its articles. And with that in mind, Josiah, verse 3, carefully instructed the Levites, put the holy ark in the house that Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, had built. You need not carry it on your shoulders. That's a fairly enigmatic statement. We're not told why the ark had been removed from the temple in the first place. Maybe it was Manasseh or one of the wicked kings and he was misusing it, treating it as a magic talisman. It's as it lamentably happened at various tragic times in the history of Israel. Maybe it was removed because of Josiah's temple repairs, although that seems less likely. Gordon McConville makes what I think is an intriguing suggestion that Josiah had the ark removed because he wanted to symbolically reenact its coming into the temple. He wanted to place the ark in the temple as David had done, as a symbol of covenant renewal. That may be the case. The Levites are commanded not to put it on their shoulders or not to parade it around as an object of curiosity, again, as a magic talisman. No, it's to be accorded the sanctity commanded by God's word. That is, it was to be carried unseen on poles. In all their duties, verse 3 says, the Levites were to prepare themselves to serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Well, the Levites then were instructed in their further tasks. They were very hardworking folks. Verse 4, prepare yourself according to your father's houses by your divisions as prescribed in the writing of David, king of Israel, and the document of Solomon, his son. Now again, the Levites had been distributed among, uh, among the people and they had assignments to each family in the nation to pastor and teach them. And they were also to assemble at the temple now to assist the priests in the actual slaying of the animals to be sacrificed, verse 5, according to the division of the Levites by father's household. Now originally in the Passover, each Israelite family was to sacrifice their own land. You remember that from Exodus. They would bring the lamb into their house. It'd be part of their family for several days. Your children would think how cute it was. And then it would be slain by the father in the house or outside the house. It was a picture of the grotesqueness of sin. And then the family would eat as a family unit the Passover lamb that they themselves had slain. It seems, however, that after the concentration of the Passover in Jerusalem, Deuteronomy 16 commanded that centralization, 
that the, the pattern had come by which the Levites did the slaughtering instead. It seems that David and Solomon had made that adjustment. And to perform that vital task, the Levites needed to prepare themselves. Verse 6, Josiah commanded them, Consecrate yourself, yourselves and prepare for your brothers to do according to the word of the Lord by Moses. Now, Josiah's careful preparations involving so many servants remind us how much effort is necessary by so many people. We think especially of the elders and deacons, but by no means is it restricted to them. How much labor goes into a worship service in a church? An appropriate worship service in our church, the nurse, please volunteer for the nursery. And there's the ushers. There's there's a whole machinery, as it were, just as he's putting together here. Effort, organization takes place. And like Josiah, Christians should arrange our worship in careful observance of the Bible's teaching. Now, we don't have the procedural specification like they did in the temple. But we do have the Bible's mandate on the preaching of God's word, on prayer and the sacraments. Good order and dutiful preparation honor the Lord every bit as much as the service of worship itself. Moreover, like the Levites who consecrated themselves for service in the Passover, Christian leaders and service servants today must prayerfully prepare for our sacred labors. Well, the final preparation involved the gathering of the great number of animals needed to be sacrificed. And Josiah himself made the greatest contribution together with his royal officials. Verse 8, the king contributed a great number for the lay people, we're told, including 30,000 young goats, 3,000 bulls from his own possessions. His officials contributed willingly, bringing forth 2,600 Passover lambs and 300 bulls. Verse 8. Finally, verse 9 says a group of leading Levites, of wealthy Levites undoubtedly, provided 5,000 lambs and young goats and 500 bulls. Now, we're to notice the eager and generous spirit shown by Josiah and these officials. It reminds us of the generosity that we should have in giving to the Lord, the ambition we should have for the church and its work. Believers of great means should, like these men, cheerfully provide resources to enable the worship and work of the church. There seems to be, however, a troubling side to the great numbers of sacrifices provided by the king and his officials. We're told they gave generously to the lay people, verse 7. Well, what's the problem? Well, the problem, again, was that the, the people were supposed to exercise their own faith by presenting their own sacrificial lamb for the Passover celebration. Moreover, they originally had been commanded that they were the ones who were to do the slaying in their family units. Again, the point was to make intimate the curse and the the evil and the, the guilt and the punishment of sin. Each man in his own household was to have his lamb. And the gospel message of forgiveness, again, would be made personal and intimate by the shedding of the lamb's blood. Now, here Josiah is so zealous to make sure his Passover celebration is a success that he provided the sacrifices, and the Levites did all the work. I think Andrew Stewart is right when he observes the people of Judah simply turned up and ate. It was all too easy for them. And as a result, the faith of Israel, the faith in God's grace through the atoning blood, that became a matter for the religious professionals, the people's casual and non-costly participation prompts us to ask the average Christian 
What is his or her level of participation in the faith and worship of the church? For instance, is our confession of faith something merely that the church possesses, or do we believe it ourselves? Are we personally involved in the teaching and the doctrine of the church? Is the worship service a a merely passive experience? We show up and somebody does something for an hour or so. Or do we give to the Lord ourselves? By the way, that's why it's called a worship service. That's Old Testament language. It's organized labor devoted by the congregation as a whole to the praise and glory of God and the blessing of his people. I think Stuart rightly comments that in Judah's approach to this Passover, he says, we start to see the weakness of Josiah's reformation. It was his personal project, but his people were lukewarm in their support. I think there's evidence to support that. Remember in the previous chapter, he formed a national convocation to renew the covenant. There we are told that the king made the people join him in it. That's not exactly the language that we're looking for. He has royal power, he has authority, and he made them do it. Now the people are going to celebrate the Passover. Why are they going to do so? Because Josiah said so, and he and his and other wealthy people did all the giving. When we encounter in the book of Jeremiah, as we have done, Jeremiah's description of the actual spirituality of the people, which was deplorable, it becomes clear that the great majority of the people did not, in fact, share in the king's personal faith. They may have approved of it. In fact, we learned that they did approve of it. They might have said it's great to have a godly king like Josiah. Many benefits, but they themselves remained just as godly, ungodly as before. Well, true believers will act very differently from what we see in Josiah's Passover celebration. A grateful believer in Jesus who loves the Lord will want to make his or her own contribution to the work of the church and the spread of the gospel. Yes, they will insist on contributing financially, even if there are wealthier members who are able to pay for everything. That's not the biblical way. It's the church as a congregation giving, tithing of their income, giving generosity, generously. And they will want to serve in the church's work according to their opportunities and gifts and abilities. They will make their own contributions of time and labor, not to mention prayer and personal evangelism. A true believer worships not because he or she is made to do so, does not merely passively receive the Lord's blessing, but provides his or her her own blessing to God and his people. Well, having so diligently prepared the Passover, that's the first section, verses 1 to 9, Josiah put all the priests and Levites in their proper pace according to God's word so that it could actually be celebrated and eaten. Verse 11, they slaughtered the Passover lamb and the priests threw the blood that they received from them while the Levites flayed the sacrifices to flay as to take off the skin. And following the slaughter of so many sacrificial animals, the people then, it was prepared, it was cooked. The people came and they ate the meal. Verse 13, they roasted the Passover lamb with fire according to the rule. And they boiled the holy offerings in pots, cauldrons, and pans. And they carried them quickly to all the lay people. Now this idea of quickly, Josiah is remembering the original Passover. It's to be done in haste. You're to come with a staff in your hand. We're people on a journey to heaven. So he's doing his best theologically to ground it in in the original Passover and its message. 
It's not clear, though, why the celebration included the presentation of burnt offerings. Those were atonement offerings that were not eaten. They were consumed entirely on the altar. They were to be used in other feasts, but they seem here to be added to the Passover celebration. The idea was that their aroma would arise to the Lord as the people's repentance of sin. Well, when the people had all eaten the Passover meal, we're told the Levites made provision for the priests and for themselves since they had been working all day. Verse 14, afterward they prepared for themselves and for the priests because the priests, the sons of Aaron, were offering the burnt offerings and the fat parts until night. And while all this was going on, the Levitical singers were making music to the Lord and the gatekeepers were standing watch. And so the Levites brought food for them to eat as well. Verse 15. Now, altogether, this Passover celebrated under Josiah's leadership is a remarkable spectacle. And it then began the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which they also observed. So all the service of the Lord was prepared that day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord, according to the command of King Josiah. And the people who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. Verses 16 and 17. It had been years, generations, since the people had eaten from the Lord's bounty in this biblical way, the Passover lamb. And by doing so, Josiah was having them reminded of the grace that God had offered the people in Egypt. And the point was, that grace is available to you now. It was to proclaim this message of salvation by grace. Yes, it was also a desire to keep God's word, for sure. But it was to proclaim the gospel message of forgiveness, that he went to such pains and incurred such great expense. He he knew that merely reforming the religious institutions would never suffice to actually bring Judah to the Lord. The gospel had to be preached. The gospel had to be believed. The Passover was a grand gospel-spreading mechanism. His practice reminds Christian churches today, and I think especially Christian parents, that merely training our children in godly behavior can never be a substitute for prayerfully teaching them the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ and even living out the biblical dynamics of forgiveness and repentance and joyful worship because of the gift that God has given us in the death of his son. Well, the fact that Josiah's Passover gospel was not widely believed, uh, as, for, again, the book of Jeremiah shows is the case, that was not Josiah's fault. The king wanted to proclaim to the nation the biblical truth that there is always an opportunity for a fresh start with the Lord. Did you know that? That's what Josiah was showing. There is always an opportunity to confess your sins, to repent, to believe. There can be a new start for you through his grace. Andrew Stewart writes, The Passover reminded the people of Israel of a time when they were slaves in Egypt. Their situation seemed hopeless. But God brought them out of Egypt. He made them into a free nation. He gave them a fresh start. That's the message of the Passover. And do you know the same opportunity is available to you today? repenting of your sin, trusting in God's gospel promise through Jesus Christ. Christ is the true Passover lamb. His blood was shed for the remission of our sins. And God says today, as he did in the Exodus, when I see the blood, 
the blood of Jesus received in our hearts through faith, then he promises his just wrath will pass over you and no plague will befall you. Exodus 12, 13. By believing in Jesus, we can have a fresh start with God. Our sins are forgiven and the Lord's spirit will work change into our hearts. Well, it is especially to Josiah's credit that his own salvation did not depend on this Passover renewal. He didn't really have to do it for himself. We saw at the end of chapter 34 that the prophet Huldah, because of his tender heart of faith, the prophetess had already promised him the judgment won't come while you're alive. It'll only be after your death, Josiah, that the judgment comes. So he didn't need to do it for himself. He did it because he cared about the spiritual well-being of the sinful people in his kingdom. You and I are to care about the spiritual well-being of the sinful, unbelievable, unbelieving, in many cases, wicked and God-hating people in our society around us. If we embrace the kind of saving concern for others that Josiah showed, then like Josiah, we will tell them about Jesus. That's what he was doing for Judah by means of the Passover lambs that were slain and eaten. Well, the chronicler was effusive in his praise for Josiah and his Passover. And we see this in verse 18. No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were present and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, verse 18. Now, in numerical fact, there probably were greater Passovers celebrated, for instance, in the time of Solomon. Uh, we know... Uh, that in those days when Judah was a much larger nation, when it was certainly a far richer nation, that we're told in Second Chronicles 8 that Solomon celebrated the Passover. And I think we can be pretty sure there were staggering numbers of sacrifices. We read on other occasions when they made sacrifices and Solomon would roll out 600,000 lambs out of his own farm. Uh, so I'm sure the numbers were bigger and bigger occasions. And yet Josiah's Passover stands out in three main ways. First was the great number of animal sacrifice, which amount to more than double those offered by Hezekiah when he performed the Passover, probably the last previous time, over a century earlier, and there's far greater numbers now. Secondly, Josiah's Passover stood out for his careful and faithful attention to the correct, correct procedures established by God's word. He knew that to keep God's word carefully in our worship is to glorify him in his sovereign majesty. People say, why do we have to worship God according to the Bible? Well, there's so many reasons. One is we want him to be pleased by it. And God tells us how he wants to be worshipped. He tells us in his word. We should do it that way. But I've always remembered John Calvin saying, when we worship according to his word, we glorify his sovereignty. We act as if he actually is in charge, which he is. Thirdly, and probably most significant, was the spirit of generosity Josiah showed. Not only had he personally provided for the majority of the sacrifices offered and then inspired others to join in with their own generosity, but he was spiritually generous. He was redemptively generous. And going to such great lengths to ensure that God's grace was published among God's people. Josiah's Passover was great above all else in its gospel motivation. And in this way, his spiritual leadership was a model, was made a model by the chronicler for leaders of his own generation, just as it is 
for Christian leaders in the church today. Well, we began tonight by remembering Jesus' parable of the ten minas. And in terms of that parable in which the master's servants were each entrusted with a great sum of money, a mina, and they were expected to trade with the money to bring in a greater profit, well, surely Josiah stands in the shoes of the blessed servant whose life was especially profitable to the Lord. The parable of the minor of the of the ten minas is similar to the parable of the talents in Matthew twenty five fourteen to twenty nine, but there is a notable difference. In the parable of the talents, different servants are given different measures of the talents they have, and that servant that parable talks about the the talents that you have, the gifts, the opportunities. You have yours, I have mine. They're in different measure, but they all come from the Lord. Some have little, some have a lot, but what matters is how we use them. That's the parable of the talents. The parable of the minas, though, is different in that each servant received the same resource and in the same measure. And it begs the question, what is the resource that every Christian possesses to employ for the Lord? We all possess it in kind. That resource is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And we make ourselves profitable for the Lord, in the language of the parable, by doing business with that gospel. My friends, no matter what your place is in life, whatever your place is in the church, as a believer, you have been entrusted with the same gospel that has been entrusted to every other believer. And your life will be profitable to the Lord if you will spread it, if you will trade in it, if you will do business with it, if you will distribute it by every godly means. Sometimes you may have the opportunity to engage in the kind of elaborate, massive gospel enterprise that's like Josiah's uh, Passover celebration. So many people involved. We have a number of them going on. I think of the labor as part of a larger group of Christians with people from our church. They labor to bring the gospel to the children in the elementary schools with the, the child evangelism focus after school Bible clubs. I was Delighted to learn after our dear sister Lori Griffin died that years and years and years ago she came to faith at a Good News Bible Club of the very kind that there's so much work involved. There's so much organization. It's like the Levites. It's the beehive of activity like the Levites. And many of our church members are involved in that. And they have long-term goals. It's a massive endeavor. And they're doing it to trade in the gospel. For others, it's a prison outreach ministry, another whole administration, a whole other apparatus, a massive endeavor. You might be involved in a serious role in the missions work of our church. Those large-scale things are very valuable. And in other cases, you may simply commit yourself to start praying for people's salvation. You'll start praying, Lord, give me an opportunity to share the gospel with so-and-so. And then you'll have the caring, loving heart to share the message of Jesus that you know to them. You see, if you will do business with the gospel in great or small ways, then you will, res- you will join Josiah in receiving the Lord's praise. Jesus said he told the first servant whose one mina had earned ten more, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. You see, we discover that the Lord's reward for our small labors are graciously disproportionate for anything we have ever done for him. Your life will make a difference for Christ and the gospel, and it will have prepared you that's what the, what the parable is saying. This usefulness, your profitability now, will prepare you for greater service in the age to come. 
you will have proved yourself worthy of great things by your faithfulness in small ones. Well, when we consider the generosity and the spiritual determination showed by Josiah, what we must realize how insignificant even that pales compared to the generosity and the zeal for our salvation that was demonstrated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Josiah gave generously from his riches so that sacrifices could be offered. Jesus sacrificed himself so that we might be forgiven, that we might have through faith eternal life. Josiah celebrated the Passover. Jesus is the Passover lamb who was sacrificed for our sins. And Josiah loved the people enough to pray, to to proclaim God's offer of redemption through faith in his promise. But Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. John 15, 13, Andrew Stewart writes, the fact that salvation is freely offered does not mean that it is cheap. It was costly for Jesus to buy. It is precious to those who have received it through faith. Well, the chronicler's record of Josiah's Passover will be followed by the account of his death after which the nation of Judah declined precipitously to such an extent that within a few years the end had come. But how much greater is our Lord Jesus? After he died for our sins, he rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven, where even today he is the living Lord and Savior of his people. We keep his Passover through faith that trusts his sin-atoning death. We serve Jesus by spreading his gospel through our witness to God's word. And when he soon returns, we will meet him. Our loving king and those who have been faithful in gospel service will hear from his lips that long-awaited accolade that his own grace has enabled us to receive. Well done, he will say to us, maybe alongside a great biblical figure like Josiah, Well done, good servant. Amen. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how interesting and inspiring is the Bible. We thank you because in the Old Testament we have these sketch drawings that are filled out in living color when Jesus came and he became our king and savior. And so, Father, let us imbibe of the spirit of Josiah. Let us Be wise not to commit the errors of the complacent people. Grant us by your grace a living faith that we look from our own hearts confessing our genuine guilt for sin. Oh, we genuinely are guilty, Lord. Give us a spirit of genuine repentance and let us look to the Passover lamb who was slain. Let us celebrate his feast through faith in his blood. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.